And for those that are able, you, know, you may kneel now. Dear Lord, um, we adore you. Um, thank you for who you are. Um, you're the same. Um, you're never changing. The seasons change, but, but you don't. And we are like clay. You are full of plans for us. Uh, thank you so much for these plans that you've, you've put in us um, um, and these visions you've put in us. Thank you for all that you've um, created for us um, and all that you've placed um, in us. You've made us in your likeness. Thank you so much for Susan. Thank you for the message um, that you've given her. Just ask that you speak your words through her. Um, and let, let your words speak to each one of us to fulfill your plans and, and the visions that you have um, um, in each one of us as we come here uh, with the different needs and storms um, um, and in, in peace at different times. Just ask that um, these words speak to us in our need. Good morning. Welcome to Elizabethtown Mennonite Church. Whether this is your first Sunday worshiping with us or whether you've done it most of the Sundays over the last 70 or 75 years, we are glad to have you here today. It's my privilege to share with you this morning what I've learned from Scripture and about Paul and the message that God has placed on my heart. So we have been studying Paul, his life, his writings, the context of when he lived over the past couple of months. We're going to continue to do so. So we're really getting in-depth here with, with Paul. Last week, I, we looked at the radical transformation of Paul. He went from a man who was bent on destroying the early church to a man who was the greatest influence on that same church. We considered these questions. Can God transform us? Is a life-changing encounter with Jesus as possible for us as it was for Paul? Is the kind of deep knowledge of who Paul was in Christ available for us today? Can we too know 100% who we are in Christ? So those questions, can God transform us like it is Paul? If you were here last week, do you remember where I came out on that? Was that a yes or was that a no? It was a yes. Yes, I absolutely believe that the same transformation power that God used in Paul's life, he can use on us today. Not only can he transform us, he wants to transform us as much as he wanted to transform Saul. He's got plans and purpose for each one of us, and he is just waiting for us to join with him to release those things. So I also told you a story about one of my friends last week about how she was supposed to bring two objects with her to her Bible study, her new Bible study group, that would represent who she was as a way to introduce her and her identity. And if you heard the story or you remember it, this was really hard. She realized that she did not know what to bring. A year before would have been easy, but she had experienced so many transitions and changes in her life over a year, it was not clear to her what she should take. And if you remember, I said she was really cranky about it, but God brought a realization to her and an epiphany. So her realization was the way she was finding her identity, those things she identified herself by, they weren't there anymore, and she didn't know who she was. 
And her epiphany was those things were never to take the place of how Christ had defined her or who she was in Christ. Everything she had previously used to know who she was was gone. And so now who was she? But I didn't tell you the best part of the story. So she was struggling with this whole thing, and she invited God into the situation, and he transformed her. He changed her view of, I don't have anything, to what is God doing? And not only that, she told me that when she invited God in, she had this new thought. Maybe the struggle is what I'm supposed to be sharing at the Bible study table today. Maybe it isn't about introducing myself as much as being authentic and open and honest about where I found my identity and where it needs to be. Maybe somebody needs to know that specific message. Did you see what happened? She immediately took that transformation that was taking place in her life and applied it to help transform somebody else's life. Her circumstances didn't change. Her attitude and understanding had. And in turn, she looked to use that as a connection for somebody else to Christ. And that is his transforming power that turns us from transformed into transformers for him. So this brings up a little bit of a hard question for me. So when I'm thinking about her, when I'm thinking about Paul, I start to think, did God cause these things just so he could get their attention? Does he cause this hardship and strife and struggling and those kind of things? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think so, but I'm not entirely sure. What I do know is when Paul submitted to Christ, when my friend committed, to, committed these things and submitted them to him, he used them for transformation. And he wasn't just interested in transforming her, he was transforming, using it to transform others. So let's think about Paul again. Why would God want to transform Paul? Well, he was persecuting the church. So that's one reason maybe God wanted to stop him from persecuting the early church. Have a personal relationship with Christ? That would make sense. God wanted a personal personal relationship with them. Maybe to show Paul that he was wrong in his zeal and his actions. Or maybe just so he could come to right relationship with God. Well, all these things happened. Every one of those things happened. But the one thing I want you to know today is I believe God transformed Paul so Paul could help transform the world for God. In the same way, God wants to transform us so we help transform this world for God. He loves us. He has redeemed us. We are precious to him. He knows us intimately and individually. But our own transformation, just for our own sake, was never the point. It has never been the point. He draws us in to draw in others. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the who? World. It doesn't say, so God for, for God so loved me. Though that is true. He loved me and he would have sent a son. But God so loved the world. It's exactly right. There's something so beautiful about God's transforming love and grace. When he transforms us, he can use us as agents of healing and change in this broken world. So today we're going to explore this idea that God's transformation of us is not just for us, but for the world too. So in preparing this message, I did a lot of reading, a lot of praying, a lot of searching. Uh, I do rely heavily on N.T. Wright's excellent biography of Paul, and also the article that is in back of the study guide that we have. If you haven't read the article in the very back of this, Paul for Today, or Paul for Tomorrow's World, read it. It is an excellent article. 
it really helps us look at Paul and his writings through a wider lens than maybe we're used to. I also used a book by John D. Roth titled Choosing Against War, A Christian View. So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 1 for just a minute and consider what God had created. When God had created all things, all of his creation radiated with God's blessing and benediction. How do we know that? He said, God saw all that he made, and it was good. Thank you, Kenan. It was good. Adam and Eve were created for fellowship and relationship with God and to live in balance with nature and all the other created, everything that's created. So John Roth writes about this Hebrew word for this original state, and we've, you've heard it before. We use it frequently. The word is shalom. And so he says, the word shalom well describes this all-encompassing harmony of creation's original design. When sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, that shalom became fractured and broken. And then throughout the entire Old Testament, we see the Israelites violating again and again the covenant that they have entered into with God as a way to have relationship, a restoration. Then as we know in the New Testament, the long prophet prophesied Emmanuel, sorry, the long, <laughs> the long prophesied Messiah comes, Emmanuel, God with us. He comes, he lives, he dies, he's resurrected, he overcomes sin and death. In Jesus, there is a new way to experience the shalom before the end of fullness of time. We know from scripture that full restoration of the Garden of Eden doesn't happen until the very end of time when Jesus comes again. But we know now through Jesus, we can have this relationship with God. So that was pretty much a survey from Genesis to the Gospels in three minutes. What does that have to do with Paul? Often in the church, and I'm referring to the church at large, not necessarily our church, we think about Paul in relation to one specific doctrine. And that doctrine is justification by faith. To sum that up, it is... It's not by works that we are saved, but by faith, which is absolutely true. Paul does say that. However, the way to get to heaven is not by doing good works. Simply believe is not the only thing that Paul said. It's very reductive. It's just using a very small portion of what Paul actually said and what he taught. And so that's what we've been looking at in depth in this situation or in this sermon series. So what happens when we focus on what we suppose Paul says? What happens if we only think about a part of it because we're not digging deep into his word ourselves or getting to the core of it? We start to believe that we get to heaven by believing, not by good works. Okay, you say, that's okay. But then what happens? We naturally begin believing that our job is to rescue people from the world for heaven when they die and not now. But when we really read the scripture, we find Paul has a message for the world that magnifies this gospel. We have good news for here and now. We have good news for today and tomorrow. We have good news for the church and the world. Shalom is not a distant dream. Its fulfillment is already in progress, and we can experience it. In our community who does not know Jesus yet can experience it too when we take it to them. At WOW this week, Kendra talked about um, 
Well, she talked a lot about a lot of things, but something that really stuck out to me was that she said, our world is desperate for a big God. They are longing for a big God because we have big problems. It's true. But here's the good news. We have a big God. There is a big God. He exists. We are the bearer of that message that God is big and he loves us. We do know through scripture that our restoration is not yet complete. That is, that's clear within scripture. Jesus talks about eternal life. He talks about new creation. He talks about new bodies. Scripture tells us over and over again, there's more than this world. We know that. We know there is a great reward coming for us. But we also know we can experience things here on earth that is, that is different, that is shalom. So what I'm positing here, based on Paul, is that we are not simply called to be relieved that, oh, thank goodness, I get to go to heaven. It's all done. No, that's not the good news. It is good news, but it's not just for us. It's for the whole world. God's transformed us. Hallelujah. Paul's pretty clear that good news is not for just us. We don't just quit. We don't just rest on our laurels. It's good news for the entire world. It's not just for us as a church. So when we consider Paul, we can't miss the larger framework of his understanding of God's renewing of all creation, which is God's plan for shalom. So we're going to look at what God has to say about this through the writings of Paul. And I'd like you to turn to Romans 8. If if you don't have a Bible, there's Pew Bibles. And the page number where this is, is 916. Thank you. So we're going to turn to Romans 8. I'm going to start with verse 1. When we study Paul in the scriptures, we find that he's not offering us this assurance of some otherworldly salvation. He's addressing the problems of the world right now. Two. So I'm going to start at verse 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a second. When is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Now. There is now no condemnation for those. Does he say it happens in heaven? He says now, now. So let's keep growing. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires, what that nature desires. Those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. I'm going to pause here for just a second. Do you notice his language? He's talking present tense. He is not just talking about the future. He's talking about the right now. So picking up at verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. We are transformed. We can live present tense life. We do not need to wait. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his sending of the spirit to aid us after he left, this present tense transformed life, this is part of God's overarching plan from the beginning. He is restating it to us shalom. It's not for Paul then. It was for Paul then. It's not just for Paul then. It's for us today. It's not just for us today. Again, I'm going to tell you, it's for the world. And it's not just for back then. It's for now. And it's for tomorrow. N.T. Wright says, God, through the gospel, puts people right so that Jesus in them, so that through Jesus in them, he can put the world right. Let me say that again. God, through the gospel, puts people right so that through Jesus in them, through Jesus in us, he can put the world right. He says glorification doesn't mean going to heaven. It means being put in charge. God's justified people are God's world-transforming people. I'm telling you right now, when we are transformed by God, we are transformers for him. So maybe your question might be, is God's goal really the whole world? Let's turn to Ephesians 3, 1 through 11. And a page number for that? 948, thank you. So I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 1 through 11. And you know how in your Bible sometimes scripture has subtitles over, over what it is? Mine is titled, God's Marvelous Plan for the Gentiles. And so I think it's important to remember when Paul wrote this, there were exactly two people. There were God's chosen people, and there was the rest of the world. <laughs> okay? So, I mean, that was it. So God's chosen people, and the rest of the world. So consider who we were. Um, 3, 1 through 11, starting verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ, Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me about you, given to me for you, that is, this mystery made known to me by revelation. And this mystery that he's talking about is that God's plan is not just for the Hebrews or the Israelites, but it's for the Gentiles too. As I've already written briefly, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into this mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles. Let's put in there the world. To preach the world, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who is the church? Who is the church made up of? It's us, isn't it? We are here. It's those of us who come together in the body of Christ. So his intent was that now, through us, through this church together, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. 
Paul's vision of the church was never that it would be a closed community. I think we know that if we just focused on all the members that we have in this church today, we could be taken up with ministry 100% of time caring for our needs within this church. That just happens. When we focus on ourselves, those needs just grow and grow and grow. But like Paul's vision was never that we're a closed community. We take care of our needs, but we're also looking out and bringing the good news to others. Our good news is we have an eternal home in heaven, but that heaven and earth have intersected here, and we are called to be a part of God's mission of shalom. Remember, shalom is this fellowship and relationship with God, living in balance with nature and all that he has created. This is what we were created for. This is what God desires for us all. So what happens? What happens if we find we've been so focused on the end point, our eternal life, our own personal salvation, like that, we wake up one day and we find we've just been going through the motions and we're actually serving the flesh and living in the flesh. What if we're so focused on our own struggles we've forgotten to care for those who don't know Christ? It's never too late to turn your life over and submit to him. And what happens if we find that we've been so worried about misrepresenting God and the word that we end up doing nothing to further his kingdom? This is a real fear. And I know I'm not the only one who has experienced this. One time I was talking to um, a friend and she very seriously and with just deep gravity told me that she would never ever be so bold to think of something as great as the Holy Spirit could reside reside inside her or guide her. She was so sincere, and I appreciate the reverence that she brought to the Holy Spirit, but that's not what the New Testament says. The New Testament says Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and guide us. Can we trust the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us? Can we trust God to right us from if we're headed the wrong direction and we are submitting to him? We have scripture, we have the resurrected power of Jesus, we have a spirit, we have the word, and we have this community in which we discern the heart of God. We need to stop being timid and we need to start being more bold and stepping out in our faith and having confidence that God, this is not our mission, this is God's mission. And if we are truly submitting to him and joining him in it, he will give us what to do. He will show us the way. He will go before us. He will go with us. I feel pretty passionate about that, you might tell. There's lots and lots of exclamation points on my paper, so be grateful I'm not doing the thing I do at home sometimes. <laughs> I just want you to remember, it's not our mission to transform. That's God's mission. But it is our mission to be transformers for him with God. We're joining with them. When we examine this idea of being transformers for the world, what does that mean for us today? How are we going to live? Is it going to be the same way we are, or is it going to start to look different? I want you to be encouraged today in this mission. Don't ever forget, it's not your mission. It's God's mission. We are joining him. We are joining the stream of him with the Holy Spirit. So some things I want you to look at about yourself. What is your unique position right now, and where has God placed you? So Paul was very uniquely positioned. He was well-educated. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had a lot of stuff going for him. He was also a persecutor and a murderer 
and a man full of zeal, and he was a sinner, but he understood that he had been redeemed. So what's your position? You and only you are placed uniquely where God has put you. You can understand what it's like to be redeemed by the gift of God's grace. Invite God to use that. Paul could use all these different things about him, where God placed him, to have a message for so many levels, for the church, for the world, everywhere he went. God placed him, but that's not special. You too are placed. God knows where you are. He put you there. What other things can we think about? As our hearts and minds are activated by the Holy Spirit, we need to be aware of the impact our lives and our testimonies can have on the relationships that we already have around us or the relationships that God is bringing into our lives. The early church had a lot of different audiences. They had the Jews. They had pagans. They had their neighbors. They had the marketplaces. And throughout the process of making connections to all those things, the Holy Spirit was faithful in translating what that means to each one of those situations without watering down the gospel of God. That is the power of the Spirit. That is the power of God. This is why transformation of the individual is so important. This is why knowing what your identity is, that then God helps us be able to reach all sorts of different groups of people. And something that has been really meaningful to me uh, recently is it is very easy to get worried in today's world. There's a lot going on. There's war. There's rumors of war. There's all sorts of things. There's computers. There's the internet. I'm looking at my row. There's social media. There's all these things that cause us for concern and that cause us for worry. And we think, if only we would have been in a different time. If only we would have parented when things were easier. If only we could have lived when Paul lived. Here's the thing. God placed you in this time and in this space. Specifically, by his design, you are here at this juncture, at this place. You're not alone. It isn't an accident. He puts you here. Therefore, he has things for you to do. It is such a release when you start praying, when we start praying these things we worry about, to realize God put us here. He wants to activate us. He wants us to be active. He wants us to do things in it. It just releases all sorts of prayers. And experiencing the Holy Spirit's movement in our life will cause us to act. It often, this often seems a lot harder for us that have grown up in the church. There's a certain way you do things. There's a certain way you relate to people kind of thing. But I've had the privilege of meeting a friend of Joe and Jen Keener's. And it's one of Joe's employees. And he is a relatively new Christian. And you know what? He cannot stop talking about God. He cannot stop talking about Jesus. He prays with employees at work, in the workplace. That's a problem. Let's pray about it kind of thing. He's part of a church plant. Like, it has just transformed his life in a way. And I made some offhand comment to him about um, we need to be bold and do this. And he looked at me and sincerely said, well, that's obvious what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we're called to do, right? Yes, that is what we're called to do. So it's very refreshing. If you don't know, know a new Christian, get to know one. <laughs> get one in your life. It just helps us. We need to be spurred on to that kind of newness and activation of the Holy Spirit. And a final reminder is just because people identify as Christian doesn't mean we don't have a message for them. Doesn't mean we don't have a message for those here in the church with us or those in society who say Christian. We live in a, this time and space 
where we, use, we hear that word Christian a lot and we're not seeing fruit. We are not seeing the fruit of Christ. Be bold in your understanding of what God has called you to. Be bold in your understanding of the word. Get in there and talk. Just because somebody is a Christian doesn't mean their life is okay. It doesn't mean they know Christ if they say they're a Christian. It doesn't mean we all have ways we can trans- be transformed over and over again. As much as I wish it was a once-and-done thing, we know from Paul it is not a once-and-done thing. We are constantly being renewed by the Spirit. So last spring, I was just really praying for this church. And if you know anything about me, you know I like words. I like the way they look. I like to spell them. I like what they mean. I like how they go together well. There's so many things about words. And I was praying for a word from God, like literally a word, (laughs) not a message, but a word. And he gave me three words. But first of all, he, gave, he told me there were going to be three, and he gave me two of them. And it wasn't until later this summer that he gave me the third one. And I just want to share them with you because I think they're very applicable to this message and also for our congregation today. And so these three words, these kind of given me this vision over our church, uniquely situated in our community. Those three words are activation, mobilization, and multiplication. To activate, we know what to activate something means. It means to get it started, get it turned on. But I thought in chemistry, it's got a really unique definition. It means to convert into a reactive form. So as we start to activate, as we start to intersect with this Holy Spirit more and more as individuals, as a congregation, we, have, we want to have reactive. We want to react to the Spirit and do things. To mobilize means to prepare and organize for active service. And I've seen that. As people have been activated at finding their gifts and using them within the church, within the community, that activation has mobilization. We're seeing people step into positions of leadership. That's kind of that mobilization that we are getting ready. And to multiply, we all know what it means to multiply, to grow, to get bigger, to increase exponentially. God's economy is not the same as our economy. So, hey, Colin, what's two times two? Is it always four? Okay. What's two times 11? Is it always 22? Yeah, it never changes, right? So that's our earthly economy. So what's three times 11? What's 465? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Put you in the spot. We have a very, we live in a finite world. We have a very set. If we multiply like this, God's economy is different. When I pray something, those prayers go up. When I meet with two or three, well, our, our system says we have two times the prayer, we get two times the help, or three times the prayer, three times the help. That's not how God works. God's multiplication is not limited by this realm. So let's say three of us get together and we're praying six prayers. Are we going to get 18, Colin? No. Prayers we might get 466 answers. (laughs) We might get, yeah, his is just, the way he does things is completely different. He is not limited, and I think that is fantastic. So activation, mobilization, multiplication. I, I see this, I see us doing this already, but I also think it isn't one of those things where you work through the steps of it. As we get this going, it's something that's going to be continually going. We're going to, that's what God wants, to continually be activating people's gifts, to continue to mobilize, and to continue to multiply his kingdom here on earth. As I said earlier this week at WOW, when Kendra told us our world is desperate for a big God, 
I want you to remember our neighbors, our family members, our colleagues, our employers, our employees, our children, the woman at the checkout line, your boss, all these people, they are longing for a big God. And we know a big God, and we know he has a big plan. So I want you to remember this week, God transforms us, continues to transform us, but it's not just for us. His transformative power can turn us from broken, needy people into agents of healing and true change. This can happen in God's broken world. He wants you as a transformer in his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for meeting us here today in this time and in this space. You are a great God. We just can't even fathom how great you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you never once expected us to do any of the things you want for us on our own, but you want us to join with you. You, um, I just ask that you would move in our lives, Lord. Help us inspect, to confess, to look for you, Lord. And I thank you right now for meeting us in that very innermost place. And Lord, I just ask that through your grace and your goodness, you would move us from focusing on ourselves and our transformation to how we can help be transformers to this world, Lord. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for giving us your word. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.